Hello! You're listening to The Dollop. This is a bi-weekly American history podcast. Each week, I, Dave Anthony, read a story from American history to my friend. Uh, Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. I think you said American history four times during that. Boy, she pops! Oh, gosh. God, you want a little hit of dude? I'll do one bottle. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Guerra. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakie of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> March 8, 1823. David Terry was born in Kentucky. Hey, we're back to Kentucky. Finally. Uh, his paternal grandfather came from Ireland and fought on behalf of the colonies for independence, commanding a regiment. David Terry's other grandfather was Scottish, and he fought for Scotland. And after being part of a force routed by the English, he escaped on a boat and headed to America, where he also fought for the colonies against the, the Scottish people are the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, doesn't matter. Where What's the I problem? Fight? Him! Little him! Kill him! What? Not him! Him! Kill him! Who? Which one? Him! Wait, kill them all! There was like three years ago I read a stat that they led the world in stabbings. Oh, my God. And if we could see headbutt statistics, imagine. <laughs> David Terry was raised on a cotton farm uh, and had an average life. The family moved to Mississippi, where they lived for 10 years until the marriage fell apart. At that point, his mother took David and his three siblings and moved to Texas. David was very, David was very large for his age. When he was 13, the massacre at the Alamo occurred, and like most Texans, David swore revenge against the Mexicans. Through eating. Through eating. Not large. He was just big. Oh, like tall. not like fat. Okay. Uh, I was picturing something fun. I was no, picturing like carnival fat. Because you're thinking American and when you say... Well, I'm, I'm thinking where are we going? So anytime there's like a hint to something, I'm like, ooh, could this be the world's fattest man? <laughs> um, so he left the farm and joined the Texan forces. 13 okay. years old. 13? He fought under Texan hero Sam Houston in a famous battle, I think it's at Santa Ana, in which they completely routed the Mexican forces. I mean, it was like... But you have an advantage to be a 13-year-old fighter, because people are like, son, listen. Come on, you should... Ah, the little fucker just stabbed me! Shit! Take that, mister! No! Take that, you too, mister! You wait till I hit puberty! Oh my god, you're gonna drop like my balls one day! John... David Terry was no slouch in a fight. A Mexican officer hit him on the head with a saber, causing a large laceration on his scalp, and Terry responded by stabbing the Mexican in the heart with his bowie knife. (laughs) Thirteen. Hard stab. After the war, Terry returned home and studied law in the office of his uncle in Houston. His uncle said he was not bright, but had a remarkable memory and absorbed the law like a sponge. Sounds like he's bright. (laughs) Fucking asshole. He's stupid, but he remembers a lot of shit. He's stupid, but he's great with facts and numbers. David was not one to argue. He didn't take part in any vices of the day and was a gentleman. Two years after beginning his studies, he was brought into the law practice by his uncle. And after being admitted to the bar, he opened his own office in Galveston. 
<laughs> this guy's smart. Yeah. He wasn't known for his sense of humor and was said to be uh, always very serious, as if he was deep in thought working on a problem. Yeah. One night, Terry went with his landlady to see a professor give a lecture. After the lecture, the professor examined the heads of several people in the audience. This was apparently the comedy portion of the show. Oh, whoa. Jesus. Tough room. When he got to Terry, he put his hand I on... mean, he's doing crowd work. <laughs> Where are you from? No. How long you had this head? <laughs> Uh-huh. All right. I got this mallet. All right. Who's got a hair? What do you mallet? think of her head? Maybe you're maybe you're two could you could bump heads later, huh? Who's got two eyes? Alrighty. This guy right here. Okay. Uh so now Terry uh has a very dignified and stern nature. So uh he goes over and he puts his hand on Terry's head and says, quote, Now here is a Jim, a a long Josie, rollicking sort of fellow. Oh, I'm sorry. Of uh, again. Now here is a Jim along Josie rollicking sort of fellow. And a Jim crowd, along Josie rollicking fellow. And the crowd loses it. Man, we uh, God. Are there any recordings of albums back know. then? Like, this is like Todd Berry shit. This is crowd work. <laughs> to see like that. Like, well, look at this. Jim comes along, Roxy Daisy. There's a. <laughs> Jim along, Josie rollicking. Sorry, this is Patton Oswalt. Kind of. <laughs> Can we get this guy to come and do the podcast? <laughs> so the audience loses it. It's fucking hilarious. They're rolling in the aisles. It, the more Terry. I hear it, the more I get it. Right? Yeah. Terry did not say a word. He's pissed. After he walked his landlady home, then he returned and beat the living shit out of the <laughs> professor. <laughs> I love the walk home. Here's a uh, jam of a long uh, Josie rocking uh, sort of fellow. Well, I had a great night with you. You going to do anything later? Uh, I'm going to go beat the shit out of that professor. Sorry? I'm going to go Jim Jam a little Josie up in his Josie town. Okay. <laughs> great meeting you. Uh, so this gave him a reputation in Houston, and no one dared mock David Terry again. Yeah. The Mexican War kicked off between the U.S. and Mexico in 1846, and Terry was one of the first to enlist. He fought well as a lieutenant, and he returned to Texas after the war. He was just 21 years old, but Terry was a now a very large man, six feet inches tall and 250 pounds. Okay. When gold was discovered in California, Dave and a group of his fellow Texans headed out west to make their fortune. All right. It was not an easy journey. Native Americans were not thrilled with all the Europeans heading out west. They twice fought battles against Native Americans and routed them both times. Over 50 Native Americans were killed while the Rangers lost just one man. Well, the, the truth is that if anyone tried to scalp him, he would just lose his shit. Yeah, and stab he doesn't him. like to... I mean, if somebody like it was like, look at this, Rousey, he'd be like, ah! <laughs> They just touched my head! Uh, Don't touch this guy's head. They arrived in California in 1849 and broke up, heading their separate ways to make their fortunes. Kind of like NSYNC. Terry briefly tried... Yeah, exactly like NSYNC. Yeah. Terry briefly tried mining, but quickly realized it was bullshit and opened a law office in Stockton. Okay. He quickly became respected and was pushed by his friends to run for mayor on the Whig ticket. Okay. But he was not a political man, uh, did not like campaigning, and he was soundly defeated. After he lost, he said, I would have made a poor mayor. Wow. I mean, concession speech is not normally so fucking honest. 
I would have been shit at this, so you guys did a really good job with your Well, opinion. I will say the voters spoke loudly and correctly today. I would really, I was going to be in over my head on this one. Nicely done, gentlemen. You going to get a Jose picture? I was going to, but Jose moved. Um, in 1850, Terry befriended a new man who came to town named Roberts. Roberts said he was a lawyer and physician. A local merchant, however, named George Belt, was told Roberts was actually a horse thief and highway robber and wasn't shy about telling everyone in town. <laughs> this upset Terry very much, and he called it a lie. Then Belt ch- challenged Terry to a duel. God damn, these dueling times. Now, at this time, if you were challenged to a duel, you got to pick the weapons and the distance. <laughs> Slingshots. Five meters. Slick shots, 500 feet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Cherry, Terry chose pistols and 10 paces. Belt was furious. He thought this was too close and called it unprecedented, barbarous, and murderous. But Terry refused to budge. Belt pistols, picked- 10 paces. 10 paces. It's like, well, no, no, you're definitely making it so one of us is going to die. <laughs> Part of the fun of this is the missing. <laughs> Belt picked a man named Marshall as his friend, and Terry picked a man named Percy. So friend means they're like, like their second, like the guy that would stand next to him and be like, go get him, Tiger, or whatever. What, like, like your corner man, your hype yeah, man? Yeah, take like a corner man, your hype man, kind of. Okay. Yeah, that's about right. Should we pause? Mm, you think it's bad right now? I guess it's okay. It'll um, probably get bad in a second. Yeah. Uh, when Percy asked Terry why he wanted to do, uh, it to just be 10 paces, because he was so large that made him easier to hit, Terry replied, Belt is a noted good shot with either pistol or rifle. I am not an expert with either, and if he lacks nerve, he is less liable to hit me at 10 paces than at 30 paces, and I know I can hit him at 10 paces. So His logic is that he'll be nervous? So he didn't want to pick rifles because he figured the guy could shoot him from wherever. Yeah. And so 10 paces seemed to freak the guy out. Right. So he picked 10 paces just to fucking unnerve the dude. <laughs> okay. He's a good... He's yeah, a, it's pretty smart, right? He is a contemplative he's man. A, remember, yeah, his uncle called him stupid. Yeah, well, his uncle's an idiot. Okay. Is this bad? I think it's okay. All right. When they arrived at the location of the duel, Marshall and Belt tried to renegotiate the terms. What about 15 paces? Ah, come on, guy. Uh, but Terry would have none of it. Finally, Belt with two paces. <laughs> the fuck is going now, dude? One pace. <laughs> no paces. Finally, Belt withdrew the challenge, and the duel did not happen. Ugh. A few weeks later, it was proven that Roberts actually was a horse thief and highway robber. So Terry went to Belt and apologized. Oh wow! <laughs> After that, Terry and Belt were great friends. <laughs> Though that was short-lived because Belt was killed in a street fight. Alrighty. <laughs> Thanks for letting me ride high for so long on that one, D.A. Terry next went to Mississippi and married the woman he loved, and he brought her back to Stockton, where his uh, law business was flourishing. He was known as a man of honor and integrity. Okay. So close that door, right? For Jose? No, for the... Oh, never mind. They moved over there. I gotta look when this guy was born. Oh, so we're taking a break. No. David oh. C. Broderick. 
was born in uh, 1820, February 4th, in Washington, D.C. Okay. His father was an Irish stonemason who came to the city to work on the Capitol building. After the job was complete, he moved the family to New York City. But his father died young, and Broderick was forced to father to follow his father into the stone business, working as a stone cutter. <laughs> Such a grim... Yeah. Uh, so you're like So what 12. do you think you'll be doing with your life, then? you would be cutting stones and... Oh, yeah. Stones is a good, secure job. <laughs> if you can get into a good stone business, you'll be glad you did. Uh, so you cut them and you put them on the thing. Yes, oh, yes. For the rest of your life. What about thinking? In- N- no, you don't have time to think. You've just got stones. So he supported his mother and siblings. As far as his social life... Any he... interesting stories today from cutting <laughs> stones all day again? Uh, Any fun tales? Uh, no. I cut one of them a little short, uh, but then I was able to use it for another place. So... Oh, I love your stories. No, <laughs> it's like I was there. It's like I was there. It's just, it's like living it. It really is. That's fascinating. Oh, God. As far as his social life, he was a volunteer fireman for the Howard Engine Company. Apparently being good at the job, whatever that meant at the time, fighting or whatever. (laughs) Um, Beating up fires. He became the foreman at the age of 20. Okay. This position gave him a head up to enter the world of politics. Okay. He became known as a man who didn't shy away from a fight, who kept his promises, and knew how to make and keep friends. He attended all the local meetings of the Democratic Party where brawls were frequent. <laughs> Great. It's, I would love to watch that. Oh, it should. Well, the truth is, if you ever want to see anything from the 1800s that you miss in your country, just watch anything in Russia right now. <laughs> like if you're dying to see like people in, in houses of yeah. politics beat the fuck out of each other. Russia. Russia. It yeah. literally happened in Russia in the last three weeks, I'll guarantee you. Want to see guys just fighting in the street who are drunk? Yeah. Russia. Yeah. Do you want to see, like, a guy marry a bear? Russia. Russia. Uh, he then opened up a pub uh, where a lot of the uh, local politicians hung out and talked politics. Through his connections, he became a representative in the famous New York City Tammany Hall. Okay. You know what Tammany Hall yeah. is, right? So people who don't, it's probably the most... Cr- it's the ultimate example of corruption. Yeah. Uh, and from there, he was given the nod to run for Congress in 1846. Okay. And he lost. Okay. Unfortunately, Broderick had the gift of making bitter enemies. He was said to have been stubborn, unrelenting, and unforgiving. Well, now you're showing me the skeletons. He was known to speak before thinking. You either loved David Broderick or you hated David Broderick. All right. Because he made so many enemies, a political career was not looking positive for Broderick in New York. Around this time, he received a letter from a friend who had gone to California. The gold rush was on, and he encouraged Broderick to head out west. So Broderick made his way to California. It was a dangerous trip. There was no railroad. He had to take a boat to Panama and cross the isthmus by land. Jesus Christ. Cholera and yellow fever were everywhere. I had to connect in Philly from Baltimore the other day to come to L.A., and I was like, this is ridiculous. One stop, really? Yeah, I got to take a fucking one stop. Well, because I had to Jesus go, I had to go Christ. a little. Yeah, because you're going east again. You're like, I've got to what go the east fuck? to then go west. This is a nightmare. This guy's like in Panama, like don't breathe. I got cholera in the Philadelphia airport. Oh, God damn it! But he made it, and in June eight, 
1949 arrived in San Francisco. He was 29 years old. Braddock was a tall man and very strong. He enjoyed wrestling and was rarely beaten. And he was said to be a great boxer. He was said to be a man who looked like he was always thinking, but was but was known to act without taking any advice. Okay, so what you're telling me is that this somebody is this is somebody who, you know, moves first, thinks later. Yeah. I wonder if that's going to come into play. I don't know. Feels like you're setting up a, a you know, a definitive characteristic. I don't know. All right. Uh, he was also very shrewd. He did not go into mining. At that time, there was no paper money in San Francisco, and there wasn't a mint to make coins. People paid for things with gold and silver coins and gold gold dust. Most money was... <laughs> Dude, I mean, you think this economy is unstable when you could, like, if wind ruins your finances. <laughs> no! Oh, there goes my house! Oh, my God! That was my nest egg! God damn wind. Most money was brought into the state with immigrants. More coins were desperately needed. So Broderick formed a partnership and they began to make five and ten dollar gold coins, but they made them out of four dollars and eight dollars worth of gold. Wait. <laughs> okay, so the the so, so the the money the money was still worth more. Right, so they're taking So their their profit was like two dollars. The profit is two dollars for a ten and one dollars for a okay, five. Right. So it's a good business. Yeah. Right. The coin uh, would just have the date, the location it was created, and the value. It worked. People wanted coins for convenience, and soon he was a rich man. Uh, yeah, but he did, still did, 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 most did, did, wanted did, did, to be a politician. He got himself elected to be one of the delegates to write the Constitution for the new state of California. Seven months later, he was elected to the state Senate of California. In a very brief period, the governor resigned, and the lieutenant governor took over, and the Senate elected Broderick to be the new lieutenant governor. Okay. Being rich apparently made all the difference. Yeah, that was fast. He had just uh, been in the area for over a year at this point, and one member of the California Assembly named Moore did not like the fact that he was rising so fast. I don't like that fact. This guy with his nonsense and his I don't stupid... like a guy who's getting popular fast. Merm. Merm. As they passed each other on the street... Oh, boy. This ought to be good. Let me guess. They didn't tip their hats? Broderick heard more mutter. Scoundrel. Rascal. Broderick turned around. And Excuse me? Got in Moore's face. You fuck. Moore pulled out a gun. All righty. And then told Broderick to his face that he was a scoundrel and rascal. <laughs> Broderick took a swing at Moore, but missed. A group then grabbed Moore and wrestled his gun away. Moore was then taken to a nearby apartment to calm down. Get this man to an apartment! <laughs> but that didn't work. Somehow he rushed back out into the street with a new gun, which he pointed at Broderick what? and yelled, I will shoot you, you scoundrel! Who was in charge of the apartment? Nobody, apparently. I mean... Okay, we're going to put this different gun here, and then we're going to go talk in the other room. You know, I have one gun. We're t first of all, we're taking this gun away from you. And this is a metaphor gun, okay? <laughs> now, while this is an active gun, look. let me show you something out the window. Look out here. Uh-huh. You see this beautiful... Where the fuck is he? Where's the gun? Oh, Where is God. he? Where's the gun? So he runs back out of the street. He says, I will shoot you, you scoundrel. Broderick just turned around and calmly looked at Moore and said, You cowardly assassin. Why don't you fire? You dare not fire, you coward. Oh, my God. 
Moore didn't fire. And again, a group of men restrained him and took the gun. <laughs> the same group. Hey, there he is. The come same. on. Come Go on. To another apartment. All right. Come on. Hey, take him to the apartment. I got this thing with a sword I want to teach him. Now, the story got around and Broderick was suddenly hot shit. And adding more flavor to the standoff was the fact that Moore was a southerner and Broderick was a northerner. This was, of course, when the country was fracturing over slavery. So is this when liberals became pussies officially? (laughs) California was no different. The Democratic Party was coming apart over whether or not to admit Kansas to the Union as a slave state or a free state. Californians who came from southern states were, of course, pro-slavery. At the time... The two senators representing California were both from the South and pro-slavery. One was named William Gwynn. Now, because he quickly gained so much political power, Broderick pretty much took over San Francisco, and his time in charge became known for corruption. Good, good, which good. Which was modeled after what he learned at Tammany Hall in New York. He became like a mini-dictator. When elections came around to fill the offices, Broderick would offer to split the profits of positions. Some jobs, like tax collector, assessor, and sheriff, were very profitable. They did not get a salary and instead took a cut of all fees. Okay. So, so, those, jo- so those jobs were like just you took a cut of what the job generated? Or you're saying that he would take cuts of their pay? So, so like take, take the tax collector. Right. The tax collector didn't get a salary, so he would get a cut of all the tax right. collected, and then Broderick would take half of that. Right. Okay. Just That's pretty much what I thought you were saying. Okay. So, <laughs> so it's set up for success, Dave? <laughs> Broderick would promise to use his <clears throat> cut to pay off whoever needed to be paid off to keep himself and those under him so in their just jobs. A, is it just a, it's just always been impossible to just not... Take advantage of power. Is that everything's just I mean, fun. is that just the lesson of life? Everything. Is that we're just incapable of goodness? Yeah. You just have to when you're in that position, it's too shiny and fun. Yeah. You gotta just be a fucking prick. Yeah. Okay. All right. Broderick then began buying lots, particularly on the waterfront. As the city grew quickly. Lots he, of what? Lots of what? Lots of stuff. Okay. He became even richer. Um, this worked for quite some time. Broderick became rich and corruption reigned supreme. Perfect. But Broderick wanted a much bigger prize to beat William Gwynn and become U.S. Senator from California. Mm. To beat Gwynn, he would have to overcome the pro-slavery wing of the Democratic Party in California, and his scheming led to his San Francisco faction to be defeated. So he went up against the pro-slavery guys and they came back at him hard and kind of got wiped out in the elections. All right, well, that's good. This greatly weakened him politically, and he lashed out, talking shit in the legislature about ex-governor Smith, who had led his opponents. Now, this did not go over well, and Smith's son challenged Broderick to a duel. <laughs> Dude, leave him be. Broderick accepted. He did? Yeah. But this is, this is different from the first guy who dueled was not Broderick. No. Okay. But my guess is they sound like they're similar types. Yeah. They met in Contra Costa County where dueling was uh, legal. Well, it was sort of legal. Dueling was legal. Oh, no, you know what? It wasn't legal at this point. Uh, okay, it's complicated. So it's still it's still legal in a way. I guess I guess it's like jury, jury nullification. So they had made it illegal in certain places, but the juries would never convict anybody. 
Does that make oh, sense? Oh, okay. So it was, so it was like a it was legal. baseless law, essentially? Yeah, baseless law. Okay. Yeah. So you could, th- they just said that. Uh, they walked 20 yards, turned, and emptied their guns. Brought because a- the truth is, if anyone in the jury went against you, you'd be like, motherfucker, I, oh. if I get out of here, I will duel your ass, motherfucker. <laughs> Two paces. Swords. Uh, uh, Broderick and Smith walked 20 yards, turned, and emptied their guns. Broderick missed with every shot. Smith hit Broderick in his, with his final bullet. But it hit a watch Broderick carried in his pants. Wait a minute. Which so- saved his life. And then that was in every movie from then on, right? <laughs> that actually did happen once. Oh God, I hope he just. Ha- I hope. Really I, I hope he had one of those quippy movie lines. Yeah. Guess my time just wasn't up. <laughs> I'm sure he did. A couple of weeks after this brush with death, Broderick stood up in the Senate and apologized to ex-Governor Smith. He knew he had to play nice to win that Senate seat. This was a time when almost everyone carried a gun or a knife in the Senate of uh, of California Assembly. We'll get back there soon enough, Dave. But they would usually leave them in their desk before taking their seat. Around this time, a state senator named Stephen Field introduced a resolution to impeach a local judge. Another senator named Moore, yes, the same Moore that had pointed a gun in Broderick's face in the street, was friends with the judge and was not pleased with the <laughs> impeachment resolution. So Moore went up to address the assembly, but before he did, no. he went over to his desk, no. took out two pistols, <laughs> Dude. cocked them, and put the guns on top of the podium. He then savagely attacked Senator Field in his speech. <laughs> Dude. It's fucking insane. I think that Republicans would elect a guy like this still. <laughs> yeah. Field tried to get uh, two senators to take his challenge to duel more, <laughs> Dude, but those senators refused. Dude. I'm not going to take him. I'm not going to do. Come on, motherfucker! The guy with the guns. I'm yeah, not take, I'm not going to take the the guy who put the guns on the fucking podium. Go for it! I'm not going to take him. Come alone. on! I think he's all barred. He thought he had fucking cock guns. Come on! Uh, he he's was a pussy cat. Field was uh, bummed out uh, that no one would help him, and he felt like he had no friends. And later that night, he ran into Broderick, who listened to his story and said he would take the dual challenge to Moore. Moore declined the challenge because he was going to run for Congress. Now, what had happened was California passed a new law that said that if you fought in a duel, you couldn't be elected to a higher office. You couldn't be? No. (laughs) Dude, Uh, (laughs) what kind of, like... Caveat is that. I don't know. <laughs> were you born in this country? But if Are you, you were, over 35? But if you were already elected and serving in that office, then you could fight in Then the you middle. could but, yeah. and, and just, you elevate could your status? If you were already a U.S. senator, you could fight in a duel and you wouldn't lose your seat. But you couldn't be president, per se. Right. <laughs> Man, these are the tough choices that face the nation. Good law. <laughs> Um, uh, more, so more wouldn't accept the dual challenge, but he did say he would fight field in, in the street. <laughs> uh. Broderick thought that was bullshit, but set up the time and place for the two senators to fight in the street. <laughs> oh man, men are the best. <laughs> but more backed out an hour later through a friend. So Broderick told the friend that field would stand up when the assembly met next and call more a liar and a coward. Jesus Christ, guys. The friend said that more, if he did that, more would shoot field in the head, right in the Senate. 
This is so gossipy. And <laughs> just like high school clicks being catty. Well, you tell him, right, that if he does that, I'll fucking shoot him in his head on the goddamn floor. Uh, and then Broderick said, in that case, there will be others shot, too. And also, I'm going to shoot his friends. The Senate met later that day with Broderick sitting next to Field armed. Around them, other senators sat fully armed, ready to shoot if needed. Oh, boy. Both Field and Moore stood up. The speaker recognized Moore, who then read an apology. That was the end of what was almost the California Senate Assembly massacre. I mean, you know, uh, okay. If he had recognized the other guy first, yeah. it would have been a shootout in the fucking California Senate. But, you know, you sit here, like, if you're in this country right now and you think about, like, our Senate or our Congress, what it needs is a shootout. Then you could I, just kind of clean the slate a little I bit. I can't really do that. You know, that. if they came out and were like, all right, well, 19 new states need two senators, you'd be like, shit, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Trying to get some new blood in there. Um, so these kind of acts help secure Bradrick's power. His term as state senator ended, and he returned to SF and continued ruling the town. He started the city's first fire company. Empire Engine Number 1. The city at the time still had immigrants pouring in to make their fortunes in gold, and that meant criminals were everywhere, and so were guns. Everyone had a pistol or a bowie knife. There were constantly duels and fights. There were few police, and arrests weren't common after a killing. <laughs> no, the cops are just like, you realize you can't uh, be president. <laughs> You've just waived your right to wow. be a senator. You could have been president. <laughs> now, while we're not going to arrest you, I think you got some heavy stuff to think about for the rest of the day, what my friend. What about the fact that I'm an idiot? Yeah, well, listen, I don't think that stopped anyone. Um, Hold on, both of you, move away from the body. Now, neither one of you can be president. Oh, oh no, 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 yeah, that's right, stupid. Um, the local prison was a ship. Eventually, a vigilante committee appeared to keep order. Always a good sign. Broderick is not. Broderick usually did not carry a gun. He okay. thought that men who carried guns and walked around armed were cowards. Well, why would he carry a gun? He could just call someone a pussy and they won't do anything. That's right. Uh, in 1955, Broderick used his increased wealth and power to try and get that seat on the U.S. Senate. Quote, my goal is the Senate, and I will arrive if living. Why? To sit in the Senate of the United States as a senator for one day, I would consent to be roasted in a slow fire on the plaza. Sorry, what's his campaign slogan? <laughs> <laughs> if I can be a senator for a day, you can roast me like a piggy. You can burn me alive! <laughs> Just one day! Oh, uh, yeah... Okay, let's do that. I'll All right. That. And what the other guy's platform is, he's going to lower taxes? Is this a promise? To... Uh, it's a fantasy. <laughs> I don't know what to call it. But I would just love it to be roasted on the Senate floor. Oh, that was great. A cat just ran by with a thing in its mouth. Yeah, I don't know what that was. Um, Broderick was also known to say that any man who did not assist him was his enemy. Interesting. And there were many. You either... Loved him or hated him, the state Democrats broke into Broderick and anti-Broderick camps. Okay. Several local Democratic Party groups in counties held Broderick and anti-Broderick local meetings and Jeez. elected contesting delegations to the state Democratic convention, which would choose the senator. So they, He's like Clinton. So now part, so at the county level, they're splitting up and they're forming different parties. And instead of sending one 
group they're sending to. Good. It's a total clusterfuck. Not polarizing. But Broderick, as chairman of the State Democratic Committee, would preside at the first session and entertain preliminary motions. Now, this took place in a church. Broderick was forced to pick two chairmen at the convention, one for him and one against him. It's a very awkward position. Uh, okay, so uh, I'll take Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, how are you? And then uh, uh, that cunt. Yeah, I fucking hate your guts, you son of a bitch. Come on up here, you fucking animal. Hey, why don't you come down here, you piece of garbage? Hey, garbage coming up. Hey, everyone, look out. We got a stinky roasted pig up here, you piece of shit. The one, <laughs> the one against him was escorted to the front of the church by 30 men carrying pistols and knives. All righty. <laughs> one of those men was a large gentleman walking in the back. His name? was David Terry. Oh, boy. Terry had spent his time in California raising his profile as an attorney. He was now a very respected member of the bar, and though some wanted him to run for governor, he had his eye on the California Supreme Court. But the mess the Democratic Party was currently in was leaving a sour taste in his mouth. Everyone in the church was armed at this point. It was incredibly tense. Someone accidentally discharged a gun. Sorry. Luckily, it did not turn into a massive gun battle. My that bad. That was my... Sorry, was guys. Me. That was an accidental yeah, one. That is me. not a, provo- that's not a the, provoking shot. Into the floor. Sorry. Into the floor. All right. Okay. Happens to all guns. Fucking Bob. Though, uh, when the shooting happened, a couple of men did jump through the church windows. Whoa, dude. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> That's a real pussy riot. <laughs> That's so great. That, I mean, these are things that, like, they sound cartoonish. They put in movies, but they're... It's yeah. really happening. Yeah. Watches are stopping bullets from hitting arteries. Someone hears bad news, they <laughs> jump out a window. Men would uh, get up to speak and would be shouted down by the other group. In the end, the Democrats could not choose candidates, and the party split for the election, which made the Whig party very excited. Think but, of all the things we can wear. But the, <laughs> but, uh, the Whig party were still not too about to win in Democratic California. Well, it's hard to get taken seriously when you just have, like, Afro and Mohawk wigs on. That's true. The split in the Democratic party made for a rough election day. At one poll in SF, Colonel... Uh, Peyton confronted Broderick over the ballots. Peyton reached into his pocket, revealing a pistol. But Broderick already had his hand in his pocket and said coldly, Move, Colonel Peyton, and you are a dead man. There is no need for us to kill each other or to have a personal difficulty. Let us take a boat on the bay or a walk under the trees and talk over this matter. If we cannot agree, then I am ready to fight to the death or to any extent that you may elect. Peyton agreed. Wait, wait excuse me. Are you telling me my options are to go on a date with you or fight you? (laughs) Here's the deal. Moonlight walk, hand-holding, maybe a little bit of kissing, or a shootout. No mouth kissing. Okay. All right? That's fair. And we can hold hands, but if someone is uncomfortable and another person's hand gets sweaty, you can drop it right away. Okay, I want neck nuzzling. I will goddamn not nuzzle your goddamn neck. I'm fine. A little bit of neck nuzzling and kissing. Okay. But but I get to say when we're done. That's fair. And don't say you love me or anything. What if... What? What if I do? (sighs) What if you... 
Well, what if that's the greatest thing I've ever heard? Get over here. <laughs> Drop your gun. Peyton agreed, and they went for a walk and talked and ended up lifelong friends. <laughs> when the legislature met in uh, 1956, they were to choose a new U.S. senator. Braddock was favored over Gwynn, the previous senator. Gwynn was a transplant from Mississippi and known to be a southern gentleman. He had, of course, fought a duel in... 1853 against an ex-member of Congress. Uh. They chose rifles and were 40 yards apart. They shot at each other three times each and then ended the duel. No one was hit. That's so awkward. happened most of the time. And it's so awkward. Yeah. You're so fired up. Well, first of all, the guns sucked compared to guns. Yeah, for sure. And then also most people aren't a good shot. But I mean, if you went to one, it's, uh, yeah, it's like when you go to see like a soccer game and it's 0-0. You're like, oh, well, I just would rather know that someone won. Someone just hit someone. Jesus. Uh, But at this point, the Broderick factions had a bigger problem. Their split had led to the formation of another party, and the election resulted in a bad situation. It was the time of the rise of the Know-Nothing Party, who were against immigrants and mostly Irish. Many were former Democrats. They had gained a majority in the California Assembly and now could elect a senator. The Democrats came back together because this opposing party was a serious threat. David Terry was one of those who walked away from the Democratic Party during the split. Though he was friendly with Broderick, he chose to support the Know-Nothings. And he was rewarded for that support, being nominated when Chief Justice Alexander Wells stepped down. And by step down, I mean into dirt. He died in October 1854. The, the, the final step down. The last step down. Uh, being placed on the court... Terry felt that he would be free of all political wrangling and independent of special favors. He took his seat in October 1855. In his first year on the court, the corruption in San Francisco was at its peak. The citizens had pretty much had it. The election of 1855 had been so blatantly corrupt that the city's businessmen and Maine citizens organized a vigilance committee for the public safety and security. A local paper, the Evening Bulletin, wrote a story that that city councilman Casey had been stuffing ballot boxes Casey responded by walking into the paper and shooting the writer in the head. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I mean, it was a different time. That's interesting. It's an interesting way of handling it. The committee was... As long as they defined that act as an editorial, I think they're okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, I have a rebuttal. And again, this is my personal opinion. Does not reflect the opinion of the Evening Bulletin. Uh, The uh, Vigilance Committee was quickly organized and Casey was hung. The committee was ruthless, going after those believed to be criminals. And soon Broderick and many of his fellow Krep City employees fled the city to the inland. California law authorities hated the committee but were powerless to stop it. Criminals were arrested, tried in committee courts, and hung or otherwise punished. The majority of Californians were for the vigilante committee. Okay. But Judge Terry was strongly opposed. Terry issued a writ ordering the release of a prisoner being held by the committee. His order was ignored. Actually, they never got it because when the sheriff arrived to deliver it at the vigilante fort, he didn't have the proper password and wasn't allowed in. What? Uh, what's the password? Uh, no, that's not how this works. What's the uh, password? I don't. I uh, I'm not. 
No, I'm not trying to hang out. I have vigilant, to li- vigilant, vigilant committee password, please. I don't know the password, so I don't. I mean, I could sit here and I could guess, but I just don't know. Okay, well, you can't come in. Uh, dogs. No. Trees. One more guess. What? You didn't tell me there were three guesses it's when three, I started. I would have led with dogs if I knew there's only three. You just keep what are you a, a fucking genie? If you keep doing a password, you get locked out. All right, is the password password? You're out. God damn it! It's ridiculous. They have a password. <laughs> then he just comes back with his finger on his lip. Hello. I would like to get inside. Uh, so Terry decided to go to San Francisco himself. But once he got there, he was told there was no point in trying to talk to the committee. So he prepared to leave and was going to take with him a man who was wanted to be a witness in front of the vigilance committee. The committee sent one of their police officers, Sterling Hopkins, to get the witness. When Hopkins came and tried to get the witness, Terry explained who he was and that the vigilance committee wasn't legal. So Hopkins left and came back with reinforcements. And now Terry and his group were armed, and Hopkins tried to take Terry's gun away from him, and they struggled. Oh the boy. gun went off, and Terry, thinking he was now fighting in a battle for his life, pulled out his Bowie knife. No, no. Yelled, so, so pump the brakes, man. Pump the brakes. Yelled, quote, damn you. If it is kill, take that. And stabbed Hopkins in the neck. Ah. Severing his corduroy artery. His corduroy artery? Keratoid? Not his corduroy. What's the artery? This is missed. This is the one I got. Listen, I, I think got I, one of those. I got one of those respells. Oh, that doesn't uh, make sense. I, I mean, listen. If I, I know most of the arteries, but uh, this one, I'm, the big thick one in the neck, right? The fatty. Yeah, no. Hey, please, you don't have to all tweet Cord- at me. Uh, yeah. I'm sniffing around it in yeah. my head, but I, I got it's in it. My brain. Anyway, so he stabbed he uh, stabbed him in the, th- in the throat. Because I know it's not corduroy, because that's what it says here. I mean, if it was, that's <laughs> you know, that's a good it's it's a good material artery. Uh, and the man stumbled off, bleeding from the neck. Terry and his crew retreated into the armory. Soon, four thousand men were outside looking to lynch Judge David Terry. I mean, he's a judge. They don't fucking care. They're, yeah, but no, 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 no. They, street, they shouldn't street, care. It's street rules. Yeah, I agree. You can't, you can't be a judge stabbing fucking corduroy arteries. Motherfucker came at him with a knife, bitch. Yeah, I agree. But still. Um. So he's holed up. Oh, that cat. Uh, he's holed up, right, with his boys. Uh, everyone outside demands that he surrender. Negotiations are undertaken, and it is agreed that he would surrender if his safety is guaranteed. So he came out, and then he was put into the Vigilance Committee's prison. Perfect. Hopkins somehow was still alive, but just barely. Now they were waiting to see what would become of him. The thousands of men who were part of the committee were demanding Terry be hanged. Okay. The entire state was now focused on the issue at hand. A Supreme Court justice was in the cell of a vigilante group. (laughs) It's great that that's the big matter at hand. (laughs) Letters poured in from everywhere. The governor asked a ship in San Francisco Bay to intervene, but the captain of the ship was told by his superior officer that what was going on in San Francisco was none of the military's business. Little fucker. Finally, a meeting was set up by Gwynn, Senator Gwynn, with the local heads of the military and the heads of the Vigilance Committee. Okay. It turns out the Vigilance Committee had no idea what to do. They felt like they had captured a whale they didn't want. They were hoping Hopkins would recover and they could let Terry go. 
The heads of the Vigilance Committee said they were now being threatened with death if they let Terry go. Look, we don't know what to do, okay? We're the, we're the Vigilantes. Look, We're the look, Vigilantes, but we're now sorry. They're, we're our sorry. Vigilantes are going to kill us. We're sorry, okay? Please. Uh, but the meeting still ended with the military and the Vigilance Committee heads screaming at each other and no resolution to the problem. Perfect. Luckily, Hopkins survived. Then a trial was held in front of a 36-man jury. Terry was found guilty. It's a huge jury. Yeah. That's three times the yeah, size of our it, standard it, jury. Yeah, but if, but everyone wants in on it. It's yeah, but it ain't a fucking cocktail party. I know, party. but they're vigilant, vigilante, so they all want hey, in man, on it. Hey, man, can I get a plus one for the jury tonight? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he was found guilty of resisting an officer of the committee. He was found guilty of two counts of assault. Other charges were dismissed. He was sentenced to banishment. What? I. Wait, excuse me? You have to leave. I'm sorry, the sentence is... You have to leave? How long am I going to be imprisoned? And will I be killed for my actions? You know how you want to leave? Yeah? You have to leave. Get out! Thank you. Uh, and they recommended that he resign from the Supreme Court. <laughs> and you should also not be a Supreme Court judge. <laughs> he was set free and taken back uh, by ship to Sacramento, where there was a big party held for him, and he returned to the bench. <laughs> Terry was just 32 years old at this point. What? It's like when Lindsay Lohan left jail. <laughs> Every judge on the Supreme Court at the time were from the South and believed sla- slavery was divine intervention, including Terry. Ugh. Slavery was, of course, at this time, a serious issue in America. The current big issue was whether Kansas should be a slave state or not. Gwynn was for Kansas uh, being pro-slavery, and Broderick was opposed. During the break in Congress in 1858, they headed home to try to make their opposing arguments to California and the convening legislative convention. Things did not go well for pro-slavery folks at the convention. One of those was Judge David Terry. His nomination to be reelected to the court was defeated. Terry blamed his defeat on the anti-slavery Broderick, a man who up until now had been one of his friends. Broderick was nominated and would run against Gwynn for the Senate. Terry made an angry speech after his defeat to his fellow pro-slavery party members. Quote, who have we opposed to us? That's a terrible. Yeah. A party based His on... His speech is upside down. He's like, sorry, let me just rearrange that. <laughs> sorry. Who have we opposed to us? A party based on no principle. A miserable remnant of a faction sailing under false pretenses. He's calling the other faction that? The Broderick faction. Yeah, okay. Uh, there's applause. They have no distinction they're entitled to. They are the followers of one man, the personal chattels of a single individual whom they are ashamed of. Great applause. They belong heart and soul, body and breeches, to David Broderick. Laughter and applause. It is a funny joke. It is a funny joke. I mean, that is funny. But that is so, like... (laughs) Okay, whatever. Broderick read this letter the next day in the paper and was pissed. Pissed. (laughs) Did I somehow mention, forget to mention, that he was elected senator? Who, Broderick? Yeah, he's already been elected. After after the Supreme Court? No, that's Terry. Oh, 
Right. The other one, the other guy, Broderick, was already elected senator. Okay. At the convention. Anyway, he won the last one. Okay. Okay. Broderick read this in the paper the next day, and he was pissed. He happened to be eating with several men that day. One in particular was named D.W. Purley. Purley happened to have been Terry's law partner for a long time. Uh-oh. And he was a southern gentleman. No oh boy. Broderick looked at Purley and said, I see your friend Terry has been abusing me. And Pearlie was like, what's this now? Can what, I just have my eggs Benedict? What, what, what are you talking about? What's happening? And Broderick said, the damn miserable wretch, after being kicked out of the convention, went down there and made a speech abusing me. I have defended him at times when all others deserted him. I haven't like seen him in a couple of years. I so. paid and supported three newspapers to defend him during the Vigilance Committee days, and this is all the gratitude I get from the damned miserable wretch for the favors I have conferred on him. I have hitherto spoken of him as an honest man. I, I take it all back. Well, I don't He's even like... He's just as bad as the others. Like, I don't even... Like, I wouldn't even call him a friend anymore, to be honest. Yeah. Between me and you, like, I feel like, you know, we've lost touch, for Shut sure. Shut your slavery hole! All righty. By others, Broderick meant the other racists on the Supreme Court. Sure. Perry said he would inform Terry of the language Broderick was using concerning him. <laughs> Broderick said, go ahead. And Pearly became more upset, saying Broderick wouldn't say it to Terry's face. And Broderick Don't was like, "Don't say that yeah, to I him. Would. Do, do not provoke him." This is a Twitter argument now. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> it's it's like that Twitter argument. Do you ever see that Twitter argument where like I can't remember? There's some kid in England who just like was talking shit to a boxer who lost, and then the boxer like found out where the dude lived and started live tweeting like his ride over to the dude's place. <laughs> And the dude was just like, all right, man, look, I said I was sorry, okay, you're great. And he's like, oh, look, on your street. Okay, well, a guy uh, today was arrested because he was playing a game, and in the game, uh, he got stabbed by a character, and for six months, he searched and searched and searched, and he finally found out who the guy was, and he went to his house and stabbed him. No way. (laughs) What? He he lived, but he stabbed him. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, so the next day, but it lowered the dude's power a lot. Yeah, it did lower his power. His health went down. Then the next day, uh, Pearlie sent a letter demanding an apology from Broderick or else. But the friend of Terry who brought the letter gave it to a servant, who then gave it to Broderick. Naturally, Broderick was insulted to get a dual letter from a servant and refused it, because that's just lame. <laughs> Then the two guys who brought the letter, who were outside waiting, came in and made the challenge in person. But Broderick was still insulted because the letter came from the servant. No, no, no. And he refused to answer. Nope, not answering. Two days later, he sent a letter to Pearlie, and now he was doubly insulted because dual challenges were supposed to be secret, but Pearlie had gone to the papers. Oh, my God. He then explained, <laughs> have you no etiquette for how to murder each other in the Good streets? God, man, we're trying to kill each other. <laughs> Not write a book. He then explained that because Pearlie was so beneath him in social standing that he couldn't accept his challenge even if he wanted to. Wow. I don't fight undercards. But that actually makes sense because if you're a senator, you could only fight people who are of your level because if you accepted duels then every fucking idiot in the world would want to duel you. It's true. Yeah. Floyd Mayweather can't box everybody. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, and also, Pearlie was still a British citizen. Citizen. So that's obviously 
who's going to fight a Brit. Yeah, of course. Basically, You'll cut your hand on their teeth. Basically, there were so many things wrong with Pearlie's duel challenge that it was insane. Okay. You fucked up left and right. It's just, honestly, I have a lot of notes. Worst duel challenge ever. It's a page one rewrite. Page one. How about you come back with someone of my level. Okay. And you hand me the note in person. All right. Not through a dog or whatever you were thinking of. And then maybe we'll talk. Maybe. Maybe. So, Broderick went on the offensive. He gave speeches beginning at August 9th in Sacramento uh, while he was on his election, can- election run. They were attended by huge audiences. His goal appeared to goad Gwyn into a duel. Okay. That's, that's how you really make a campaign catch fire. Well, so he's right against a guy. Might as well try and shoot him. He read letters that proved Gwyn was, Gwyn was lying about matters related to running to, uh, for the Senate. In his speeches, he said, quote, Gwyn was dripping with corruption. And he had another letter from Gwyn himself that humiliated Gwyn and became known as the Scarlet Letter. Wait a minute. Gwyn followed him to each town and gave a response speech that was equally angry and ugly. It became common understanding to everyone in the state that the only way this could be settled was for the two men to duel. Uh huh. Now, gentlemen, let's say cooler minds prevail. The only way to settle this is to have them try to duel again. Shoot each other in the faces. <laughs> Though most people in California at the time were against the idea of duels, it still continued as a way to settle grievances. It was expected there would be a duel after the election. Sure. Election day came and Broderick lost. Then the public waited. Broderick, at this point, was known to be one of the best pistol shots in the state. It was also known that Gwyn was pretty much shit with a pistol, but pretty decent with a rifle. But the man who was actually waiting until the election ended to receive an apology or challenge Broderick to a duel was Judge Terry. Okay. He was also not great with pistols. Okay. All of Terry's friends agreed that Broderick would rather apologize to Terry than duel with him because the two men had been friends for so long. On the 8th of September, he went to Sacramento and had a friend deliver his letter to Broderick. Broderick wrote back that he needed to know exactly what Terry found offensive. <laughs> so so he's basically fucking with him now. Yeah. So he gets a duel letter and he goes, like, I was offended by your language. And he goes, why don't you tell me exactly what that language God was? God damn it. Bro? Yes or no. Well, no, why don't you say the word? What is it that I said that made you get all upset? Do you want a duel or not? What's the exact words? <sighs> Can you say wretch? I'm wretch. not. You motherfucker. So Terry sent a note paraphrasing the offensive statements Broderick had made. Broderick then wrote back a letter that contained exactly what he had actually said. <laughs> it would be better if he wrote back, new phone, who is this? <laughs> and then he wrote, it's up to you whether or not those words would offend you. <laughs> no apology, nothing. Then Terry requested a duel. I want a duel. Terry chose uh, Mr. Benham as his second, and Broderick chose ex-sheriff David Colton. Broderick chose Lake Merced as the place and pistols as weapons. Ten paces would be the distance. Friends of the two men tried unsuccessfully to negotiate a truce to stop the duel. They arrived at the location the morning 
of the duel and were preparing for the duel when the chief of police arrived and arrested everyone involved. <laughs> it's so funny because like when you're hearing stories about this time, you don't really know what the law is. No, so the idea that after all this, the cop's like, no, get the fuck. Come on, the, you guys. Get Jesus in the goddamn fucking. paddy wagon. Come on. Um, they uh, were set sent to appear in court that day. Uh, <clears throat> they appeared before a judge. A judge who had been elected on the vigilance committee's ticket. Oh, good. The judge decided all was good and released them. All right. So what is everything? Of course. It's, he's a fucking vigilante. Why would he? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead and what, kill each other. But so then what are this, what's the sheriff doing? So they made an agreement to duel the next morning at the same place. Jesus Christ. The sheriff was just like, oh, fuck it. This I is like it. state versus federal law. No, the sheriff was like, what's the fucking point? Well, yeah, but but he went there to arrest them initially, right? Yeah, but then he did arrest them, and the judge was like, ah, it's yeah. fucking So off. then he's like, god damn it. Uh, so uh, the next morning, there were about 80 spectators there to watch the duel. Terry stared at Broderick, and Broderick avoided his gaze. Because Broderick was challenged, he could choose everything, including where. So as the sun rose, he was positioned with his back to the sun, and Terry was positioned looking into it. Ooh, that's tough. the fucking... The, the, you shouldn't have, have to look into the fucking sun no, and duel. No, What do they do, like a coin toss? No. I pick no, this who, side. Who, yeah, who, no, I know. But but also, if you're, back, if you're backlit, it might work out great the, to shoot the guy. If you're backlit, I think, yeah. If, you're, yeah, if you, you want to be pacing into the sun so that when it's duel time, you turn around and that person's like, ah! Yeah. And you're just standing there like the, you know, an angel. Uh, Terry told the second that Broderick appeared to not be up for it. He looked like he was in a trance. This may have been because he really wanted to duel Gwyn, who he had never liked, instead of Terry, a man he considered a friend. Terry felt the same. He said, quote, I will hit him, but I do not want to kill him. Both men were asked if they were ready, and they responded, ready. Then Broderick second said, fire, one, two. Broderick fired first and hit the ground nine feet away. All right, perfect. Warmer. Take that! Getting closer. Terry fired second. Braddock was hit in the right lapel of his coat. Dust flew out. Quote, A visible shuddering of the body was instantly perceptible. Then a violent contraction of the right arm. A relaxation of the fingers on the right hand from which the pistol dropped to the ground. A heavy convulsion shook his quivering form and he turned toward the left. His dead dropped. His body sunk. His head dropped, his body sunk, his left knee first gave way, then the right, and in a moment he was half prostrate on the sod, his left arm supporting him from falling prone. That, that is how you die in a movie, too. <laughs> <laughs> Terry then left the ground, thinking the wound was not mortal, but enough to end the duel. Time! <laughs> Time! T.O. Car! Two surgeons attended Broderick, and he spoke calmly, also not too concerned about his condition. They gave him brandy and banished him. Broderick was... <laughs> okay. Yeah? How, you want a little pop? That's how I want to go. You want a pop? Yeah. Broderick was taken to a house of a friend. Terry went back to San Francisco in a boat. But upon examination, it looked like the bullet was in a place that would lead to recovery. He stayed in bed for two days, and everyone expected him to recover. Then he died on the third day. Jesus. During the autopsy, it was learned the bullet had pierced his lung and he could not have survived. Ugh. After the funeral, Good surgeons. Yeah. 
think he's fine. He's going to be good. He's going to be good. Did you have a pocket watch? Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, he is dead. Oh, you know what? That bullet went right through him. Uh, yeah. Look oh, here. Oh, I didn't see it. The lung. Yeah, the lung's totally punctured. I thought it hit the jacket. Yeah, I don't. Well, you should have taken the jacket off. In retrospect, we should have taken the jacket off. It bounced off. What's uh, lunch looking like? After the funeral, many demanded vengeance. Terry resigned from his position on the court, which he was to step down from anyway because he had lost the election. <laughs> oh, wow. That's pretty bold. Uh, papers all over the state stirred the anger. Gwynn also became the focus of people demanding justice. The phrase, they have killed me because I was opposed to the extension of slavery and a corrupt administration was assigned to Broderick. So people said that he said that before he died. Catchy. People just would not accept that the most ugly campaign in California election history had ended this way. When Terry returned to Stockton, he found a public opinion so firmly one-sided against him that he surrendered to authorities and demanded a trial. Okay. I love a guy that's like, I want it! Arrest me! Put me on trial! Put me on trial right now! Excuse me? Put me... Uh, a dead Broderick was proving more powerful than an alive Broderick had ever been. Oh, boy. His supporters rallied against the pro-slavery sympathizers who had killed him. Words he had never said were put in his mouth. Oh. Terry was tried and found not guilty. Okay. But the political atmosphere with the slavery question tearing the country apart was highly charged. Congress declared a 30-day mourning period. Local buildings, like firehouses, were draped in black. Around 300,000 people filled Portsmouth Square for his funeral. He was called the Pacific Coast Lincoln. Wow. So now they're turning this fucking corrupt asshole into a god. He's Morrison. Because he was shot by a pro-slavery guy. Right. (laughs) He's a martyr. Terry's life, meanwhile, was in ruins. (laughs) I wish I died. He could could no longer... uh, He was no longer a judge. Uh, he could no longer get uh, any work as an attorney. Terry headed for Virginia City, Nevada, to have a go in the world of mining. He remained there for four years, and but then people kept jumping his claim, so he returned to Stockton and restarted his law business. But now time had passed, and he was successful again. People now blame the party and the system more than him. Though he was still a political non-entity, he was still Southern through and through, and in 1863, he left and joined the Confederate Army during the war. His older brother, Benjamin, fought in the Civil War for the Confederate Army and was killed in battle. His youngest brother was an attorney. While in Richmond on business, he joined up with General Wharton and headed for the Battle of Shiloh. He was supposed to just be a witness to the battle, but he was killed during the first day of fighting. Jesus. So where do I sit where I won't get incoming? <laughs> David Terry. Uh, oh, boy, that's a fucked up. Corduroy. Uh, oh, David Terry fought uh, for the Confederacy for a long time and was eventually injured and returned to California in 1868, where he took up his law practice again. Things trudged along until he became uh, involved in a strange case. Sarah Hill had become the mistress of Senator William Sharon of Nevada. At some point, she claimed they were married, and Senator Sharon said they were not married, and he sued her to stop her from using his name. Okay. Okay, This is a crazy lady. (laughs) We're married. We're not married. We never married. I have your name. I'm suing you. To stop 
what the fuck is happening? What's for dinner? So Sarah hired David Terry as her lawyer. Okay. The court determined that the marriage license was a forgery and Sarah appealed. While the case was on appeal, Senator Sharon died. Okay. Sarah then married David Terry, her lawyer. What? <laughs> this is this a Lifetime movie? <sighs> the judge overseeing the appeal was Judge Field. Was their son. Judge Field. Oh, God. You remember Field? Yeah. He was the guy who got who almost started the California Assembly Massacre. Okay. They had a big thing with Moore. It's perfect. This really is the third act. And he was a close friend of David Broderick, as you recall, because Broderick sat next to him with the gun and the thing. He, of course, upheld the appeal because Terry, he <laughs> fucking... <laughs> this, I mean, honestly, this is becoming a telenovela. Sarah went apeshit and started trashing the courtroom. A marshal tried to arrest her, so Terry punched the marshal in the face. What is happening? Out, knocking out a tooth. And then everyone started chanting Jerry. <laughs> Terry was then dragged out of the courtroom by a crowd where he pulled out his Bowie knife and threatened to cut anyone who touched him. What is happening? Then a guy named David Nagel managed to get the knife away from Terry. Justice Field sentenced both David and Sarah Terry to jail for contempt of court. Okay, and then what? That, and they were allowed to live in a cell together. That didn't calm things down. Oh God! David Terry kept making threats against Judge Field while he was in jail. That's not good. That's not how you get out. He swore revenge. Oh God! So it was decided Justice Field should have a bodyguard. The bodyguard who was chosen was David Nagel, the guy who had taken the knife away from Terry. You was, you seem really good at getting him to stop. You should do this. Oh, okay. Oh, right. He was deputized. <laughs> the Terrys were then released from jail after serving their time. Okay. They sound like the Quades a little bit. They, they got on a train that also happened to have Justice Field and Deputy Nagel as passengers. What? I don't know. The next morning. This worked out great. At Lathrop Station in San Joaquin Valley, passengers got off to have breakfast. Justice Field was eating in a restaurant, and the Terrys entered. David Terry walked up behind Justice Field and slapped him twice in the face. <laughs> oh, man. It, it's great that bitch slap has translated all these years still. <laughs> Deputy Nagel rose up and yelled, Stop that! I am an officer! <laughs> Good job, Deputy. Terry then reached inside his coat, and Deputy Nagel drew his pistol and shot twice. David Terry was killed instantly, shot in the heart. Hmm. Nagel was arrested. But the Supreme, yeah. Okay. The Supreme Court ruled that Nagel was acting under the authority of the law of the United States and was justified in doing, and that he was not liable to answer in the courts of California on account of his part in that transaction. Okay. Up until then, there had been no specific law authorizing protection of judges, so the decision greatly expanded executive authority. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Sarah Terry uh, went insane. It sounded like she was kind of headed that way. And was committed to the Stockton State Hospital where she lived for the next 45 years. 
Sounds pleasant. Not long after the duel of Terry and Broderick, both public opinion and legislation turned strongly against the custom of dueling. The death of Broderick pushed California from being a southern sympathetic state to one aligned with the Union. That's a big move. Yeah. So it was worth it. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, But dueling is still not illegal in some states. Good. (laughs) Everybody wins. I just never understand the point of law. Like, you make laws... You know, you make the idea is that you make laws so that you have you just have established the one rule. But then in this country, there's so many different, you know, you just no. so many subcategories of what you can do with a law. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's almost like our political system's totally fucked. How far away from are we from dueling again? Well, that's the that's what I'm that's what I was saying about like the Senate, like the I like you you really think about it, like you'll see a lot of senators like in there with a fucking gun in their hands, like you know making some display oh, yeah. of like the yeah. right to bear arms, but and and then when you hear about like school shootings and stuff, like you know one of the more frustrating pushbacks on it is like, look, if teachers could have guns, this would stop. Oh, so it's like it feels like we're headed more in that direction than no guns. No, no, those are. No, I would say what people don't know is that on the local level, the NRA is losing massively. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, yeah. I guess we might just have to pry it from their cold, dead hands after all. (laughs) I would like to. (laughs) We'd be like, fine, we'll take it. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's all good stuff. Great. That's California. Great. We're signing cars. We are signing cars at all events. At live events, we'll be signing cars. Good night and Merry Christmas. Yes. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, this same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help 